This is World Lutheran News Digest, an audio news magazine bringing you a look at significant events in worldwide Lutheranism. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO, a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Today on World Lutheran News Digest... I'm World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. Christian filmmakers Carl and Angel Larson won a huge victory for religious liberty and free speech recently. An appellate court ruled that the state of Minnesota cannot control artistic expression and force artists to make messages that conflict with sincerely held religious beliefs. This ruling has wide-ranging implications for a number of cases currently on the courts. Alliance Defending Freedom attorney Jake Warner discusses the case of Telescope Media Group with me today on World Lutheran News Digest. And now today's Fast Track. Facebook is censoring pro-life group Live Action, claiming that its content is false news and it's using two abortionists as fact-checkers. The social media giant marked Live Action as false for promoting in a video the perspective that abortion is never medically necessary, a view the group stressed that's held by thousands of OBGYNs across the globe. Live Action said last week that it was notified that their page's reach will be reduced for repeated sharing of false news. Live Action is known for its extensive pro-life advocacy and undercover sting operations exposing Planned Parenthood shady practices. In recent months, it's been kicked off Pinterest and has battled Twitter, which has refused to allow the group to purchase ads. A case involving freedom of speech, religious liberty, and LGBT interests are so clear-cut that they unite people with opposing ideological perspectives. The Kentucky Supreme Court recently heard a case that does exactly that. Lesbian print shop owners and LGBT activists have joined with free speech and religious liberty groups in agreement that the government cannot force promotional printer to print messages that conflict with deeply held beliefs. The case is Lexington Fayette Urban County Human Rights Commission versus Hands-On Originals. It began in 2012 when Blaine Adamson, he's the managing owner of Hands-On Originals, a promotional print shop in Lexington, Kentucky, declined a request to print t-shirts promoting the local gay pride festival. John Corvino, a philosophy professor, LGBT advocate, and co-author of Debating Religious Liberty and Discrimination, has written that if Adamson loses, no legal protection would exist for the baker who declines to write homosexuality as a detestable sin, the print shop owner who declines to make white pride t-shirts, and the billboard designer who declines to erect an abortion-is-murder display. To protect against all this, Cravino agrees that the Kentucky Supreme Court should rule that Adamson was not guilty of sexual orientation discrimination when he declined to print the requested Pride Festival shirts. Teen Vogue has been to social media to encourage children to have abortions without parental knowledge. The magazine is directed toward teenage girls, and it was found to be using the social media platform Snapchat to instruct teenagers about how to obtain an abortion without their parents' knowledge or consent. The founder of the Canadian pro-life group, Choice42, Laura Klassen, shared a post on Facebook which included screenshots from Snapchat. In the images, Teen Vogue tells teens that having access to abortion should be your right, regardless of your parents' beliefs. Unfortunately, not every state legislature agrees. It then goes on to instruct teens about how to best avoid their parents. World Lutheran News Digest will be back right after these messages. Hi, I'm Pastor Ted Lesh. 
pastor at Chapel of the Cross Lutheran Church in North St. Louis County, inviting you to listen to our KFUO radio worship broadcasts on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. Active worship, preaching, music, and singing are part of every one of our services at Chapel. Join us Sunday nights at 6. It's one more broadcast worship opportunity for you from your friends at Chapel of the Cross and KFUO Radio. Listening to Worldwide KFUO on the go with your smartphone doesn't mean you have to walk around with earbuds all day. You can Bluetooth across the room to a speaker system in your home or listen on radios that have built-in smartphone cradles. There are many easy ways to listen to WorldwideKFUO.org on the air, online, and on demand. We proclaim the clear gospel message of Christ crucified for our sins. The messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO. Hi, I'm Pastor Matt Youngblood-Clark from Ascension Lutheran in St. Louis. And I am Pastor Jolly John Lekumski from St. Paul's in New Athens and Trinity in Darmstadt, and we welcome you to listen to Wrestling with the Basics. Matt, 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 let go of me, man. No, no, it's not real wrestling. We're just talking about Bible issues. Oh, 9.05 Saturday mornings, 8.50 a.m. KFUO. This is World Lutheran News Digest. Это всемирная лютеранская новость. Hi, World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. My guest today is Mr. Jake Warner. He's an attorney with Alliance Defending Freedom, and he and ADF scored a major victory for religious freedom and for free speech in the case of something known as Telescope Media Group. Mr. Warner, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, Mr. Warner, could you uh, speak a little bit about, about yourself? I understand that you actually focus on conscious rights of individuals being uh, forced to compromise beliefs. Sure. I'm legal counsel at Alliance Defending Freedom. ADF is an alliance building legal uh, ministry that advocates for religious freedom, life, and marriage and family. And I, in particular, work uh, on the Center for Conscience Initiatives as legal counsel. And what that means is is, uh, typically I represent Christian business owners who are trying to live out their faith in the marketplace, but they're having trouble doing so because of uh, various laws. And and most of these laws have been uh, in the form of public accommodation laws at the state and local level. And what happened with the case of Telescope Media? I understand these are Christian filmmakers who wanted to go into marriage filming, uh, not just doing standard wedding photography, but actually creating a story telling, uh, telling and celebrating Christian marriage. The state of Minnesota said if you do that, you got to also do nice things about gay marriage as well. They objected, and hence, here we are. Yeah, that's exactly right. A couple of years ago, Carl and Angel Larson decided they wanted to enter into the wedding filmmaking industry. Carl and Angel own Telescope Media Group. That's a Minnesota-based filmmaking company. And um, like you said, uh, if they entered the wedding industry, Minnesota officials would require them to create films celebrating other kinds of marriage, including same-sex marriage, if they created films celebrating biblical marriage. And uh, the Larsons just couldn't do that because of their faith. Uh, so instead of risking fines and punishment, even jail time up to 90 days, the Larsons decided to file a lawsuit on the front end to find out what their rights were. 
and that's what that's how it all started a couple of years ago. And eventually went up to the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals, where they won. Uh, they overturned the uh, the well, they didn't actually overturn the ruling. What they did was they. Uh, told Minnesota that they can't do that. They cannot force uh, free speech. And they also recognize that filmmaking, as such as they were doing, indeed constitutes speech. That's my understanding of the ruling. Is that correct? Yeah. At the district level, uh, the Larsons lost. Uh, the district court uh, didn't get it um, and went the wrong way on the speech issue. So we appealed up to the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals. And there, the Eighth Circuit got it right. Um, the Eighth Circuit said that the Larson's decisions on what films they will and, and, and will not create is a protected, those decisions are protected under the First Amendment. The Minnesota simply can't force the Larson's to express messages through their films that violate their core beliefs. And if you think about it, this principle is really an important one for everyone. Regardless what you think about marriage, the government shouldn't be in the business of forcing people to express ideas that go against their deepest views, um, whatever those views are on important debated issues um, in our time. One of the things in this uh, ruling that I read that really struck me is that it squarely addressed the issue of free speech. It sort of sidestepped a little bit uh, the case of uh, Masterpiece Cake Shop, where Masterpiece, you know, uh, where he won, Jack Phillips won, but it was basically uh, because the, the governing board there was so overtly hostile to religion. They basically ruled on the 14th Amendment, equal protection, that he didn't get the proper protection, that he was indeed persecuted. Where here, this is clearly a First Amendment issue, at least the court has stated clearly, that this is First Amendment. This case really picks up where Masterpiece left off. The Supreme Court and Masterpiece Cake Shop didn't even need to get to the free speech question because Colorado officials were so hostile to Jack Phillips and his faith. And so the court ruled in Jack's favor solely on free exercise grounds, although many parts of its opinion gave hints about what the court thinks about the free speech issue. In this case, the Larson's case up at the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals, it really picks up where Jack's case left off. The the, the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals addressed the free speech question head on and ruled in a big way in favor of free speech of business owners around Minnesota. This, I think, is a very important ruling. Will the state of Minnesota appeal it, do you think? We don't know for sure. There's some clues that the state might appeal it, either uh, to an en banc panel of the Eighth Circuit or perhaps up to the U.S. Supreme Court. We don't know what they'll do right now. We probably should have some idea of that either in the next couple of weeks or certainly within the next uh, two and a half months. We'll know for sure. As we said, this uh, issue is clearly defined as a First Amendment issue. In fact, I think one of the statements is that the state, the ruling was that uh, state anti-discrimination laws cannot contradict the First Amendment, which is a case in this, and also establish the fact that compelled speech is also something that is not allowed under the First Amendment, where freedom of speech is also freedom to speak and also freedom to stand silent. And this will have far-reaching effect if this ruling stands. Yeah, you highlight an important distinction there. Um, we're challenging this law or the application of this law as it relates to speech. We're not challenging the law on its face, meaning we're not challenging every application of the law, particularly to, to its applications to various forms of co conduct, even based on religious reasons. What we're attacking here is uh, a public accommodation law's impact on speech and particularly religiously motivated 
speech. And that's the narrow issue that the Eighth Circuit addressed. And like you said, it is a very big win. This principle protects not only the Larsons and their filmmaking decisions, but it protects everyone in Minnesota uh, and their expressive decisions. Um, if they're in business, say they're a business owner who takes the opposite view of marriage from the Larsons, well, this decision would protect their right to create films consistent with their beliefs about marriage. So this is not just something that is a, a, a narrow thing for the Larsons. It's a good thing for everyone in Minnesota. The ruling made clear a number of uh, potential misuses of that. For example, they said the law could potentially force, say, a, uh, a Muslim tattoo artist to tattoo for a Christian saying, <laughs> Christ is God. <laughs> sure. Yeah, and it highlighted some other examples, too. Like, uh, it, you know, the, the opinion asked the question, should the government have the right to force a Democratic speechwriter to draft speeches for a Republican political candidate? And the answer to the questions has to be no, right? The government doesn't have the power to compel speech. And let's say, like I said before, if you disagree with the Larson's point of view about things, well, the same principle that protects them is the same principle who protects the Muslim tattoo artist. It's the same principle that protects the Democratic speech writer. It's the same principle that protects you and me. So ultimately, this is a win for everyone, not just for Carl and Angel Larson. Well, there are a couple of uh, issues that are still hanging fire, a couple of cases. We, we know that, once again, Masterpiece Cake Shop is involved in the uh, judicial system, and, of course, there was a case of Baron Old Stutz, but in the state of Washington with Arlene's Flowers. Will this have some impact on those cases? We certainly hope so. The same principle that protects Carl and Angel Larson is the same principle that protects people like Jack Phillips and Baron Al Stutzman. We'll certainly take portions of this opinion from the, the Eighth Circuit and use it not only in Jack's case, but also Baron L's pending case. And you might remember that the Supreme Court sent Baron L's case back down to Washington State Supreme Court to review in light of Jack's first case. But while it was at the state level uh, on review, the Washington Supreme Court essentially issued uh, an opinion almost identical to its first one. So now we're getting ready to ask the U.S. Supreme Court to hear Baronell's case again. So it looks that one way or the other, the U.S. Supreme Court is going to have to make a decision on what, what constitutes free speech. Yes, more and more of these cases are popping up around the country. Um, we also have um, a couple of state cases. One is in Arizona and another is in Kentucky. In Arizona, we, have, uh, we represent two women who create wedding art. And the city of Phoenix says that if they create wedding art that celebrates biblical marriage, then they must also create wedding art, including drafting of wedding vows that would celebrate same-sex marriage. And then uh, that case is currently pending before the Arizona Supreme Court, and we expect a decision really any day now. So we're optimistic that um, the court there, like the Eighth Circuit, will rule in our client's favor. And then most recently, we had a case argued at the Kentucky Supreme Court. It involved a T-shirt print shop owner named Blaine Adamson. And uh, back a few years ago, he was asked to print a T-shirt um, that would promote a local gay pride festival. Blaine declined that request and got involved in a lawsuit because of it. Unlike some of the other clients, he won before multiple lower court, and um, the state appealed it up to the Kentucky Supreme Court, where oral argument was heard just about a week and a half ago. And uh, based on how that argument went, we're optimistic that that court will uphold Blaine's freedom to print messages consistent with his religious beliefs. And that's a good thing. Uh, what, we, what we're hoping to see right now is momentum moving in favor of free speech. 
uh, in Arizona, Kentucky, the Eighth Circuit, and then we hope the same will apply to Jack Phillips in Colorado and other folks around the country, too. It's interesting to me that uh, state attorneys general and uh, other groups like that are taking an active interest in these cases both uh, on both sides. And this is the type of, of issue that I think these, the U.S. Supreme Court was designed to adjudicate, where the states themselves cannot really define what's going on, where they themselves are at war with each other. The U.S. Supreme Court is definitely going to have to weigh in on this issue, and we certainly think that the Larson's case in Minnesota provides a good vehicle for the Supreme Court to do that. It involves filmmaking, and the Supreme Court has held for over half a century now that filmmaking is pure speech protected by the First Amendment. So the only question is, can states or local jurisdictions through their public accommodation laws force business owners to express messages that violate their deepest beliefs? And we think the answer to that is no. In fact, the Supreme Court has ruled on a similar case back in the 1990s called Hurley, and it involved some parade organizers who um, <clears throat> Boston was trying to force to express a message through their parade that they disagreed with. And the court said that, uh, no, a public accommodation law could not be used in that way. And we say the same principle applies to our clients like Jack Baronell, the Larsons, and uh, Blaine Adamson in Kentucky. One argument I've heard is that for-profit groups like, uh, like your clients have to follow different rules than a person who is who works uh, privately. Yeah, and yet the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals, in this case, actually quoted several instances within the Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court, that says that freedom of speech applies to for-profit organizations as well. That's exactly right. And that's, argue, that's an argument that we have been making all along in these cases. In fact, the case I just mentioned, uh, the Hurley case involving the parade organizers in Boston, the Supreme Court mentioned that uh, the same rule could not be used to force publishers to express messages that they disagree with. And if you think back a few decades ago when uh, laws were coming out trying to force uh, newspapers to provide equal ac access to, for example, their op-ed columns, the Supreme Court weighed in and said, no, you can't force a newspaper to exercise its editorial control to publish a piece with which its editors disagree with. That's not okay. And those newspapers were for-profit businesses. I could go on with some other cases from the Supreme Court, but the bottom line is, is that people don't give up their First Amendment right when they enter the marketplace. Masterpiece most recently reaffirmed that principle, but it's a long-held principle in our country. We don't lose our rights to enter the, uh, to live out our faith or, or to live consistently with our core beliefs just because we open our doors for business. The U.S. Supreme Court historically tries not to make actual ironclad rulings, if you understand what I mean. I think, uh, for example, the Obergefell, that was, a, that was an exception. But we look at what happened with Jack uh, Phillips and other cases where they almost sidestep the issues, like they really don't want to come down with a solid ruling, at least not at that particular moment in time. So what's going on here? I, uh, the and I think at the day's end, that's a very good thing. We want courts to exercise judicial restraint. We don't want them to go too far and say more than what's needed to be said in a particular given case. And uh, certainly Chief Justice Roberts uh, embodies that principle. He wants that principle to characterize this court. That seems very evident in many of the decisions that have come out during his tenure on the bench. And that's especially true in the past couple of years. So even though the court did not need to get to the free speech issue, issue in Jack Phillips' case, we trust that the court will take one of these uh, newer cases that uh, involve the free speech issue pretty square on. 
Um, like we talked about before, the Supreme Court's going to have to weigh in on this issue so that states and local jurisdictions know how to apply these laws consistent with what the First Amendment demands. We're also looking at another case, that of a funeral home owner uh, who had an employee who is a male and says now he's female and he wants to present himself as a female when dealing with uh, the grieving families. That case has now gone up to the Supreme Court. And I think the issue there is whether or not the states or, or the court can redefine what sex is. That's, that's strictly a legislative uh, issue, is my understanding. Whereas the courts have said, well, it also includes gender identity. Is this uh, the next one coming up? That's exactly right. So that funeral home case will be argued at the U.S. Supreme Court in October, and it is going to be argued alongside a companion case. Uh, And both of those cases involve what is the definition of sex. Um, You know, Congress had a a definition of sex in mind back in the 1960s when it enacted Title VII, and it was attached to uh, certainly biological indicators. But now certain courts and jurisdictions are trying to expand that definition to include other things that Congress simply did not intend. So the question before the court this October is, does sex, by definition, include sexual orientation and gender identity? And like you said, we represent the funeral home, and we're trying to to answer the question whether sex uh, means gender identity or not. And of course, we don't think Congress intended to include gender identity within the definition of sex back in the 1960s when it enacted the statute. The concept of judicial activism, I think, is a very real one, and we are seeing cases now where the courts will actually effectively create legislation. That's what this uh, case is designed to, to, uh, to oppose. That's exactly right. <clears throat> At bottom, this case is about statutory interpretation and what is the power of the courts. And thankfully, in the past couple of years, we've really seen the Supreme Court take good measures to restrain itself and to really try to interpret what the law as um, defined by Congress or other legislatures, what it means as opposed to adding to it with their own views. So that is what this case is about, and I think what we've seen in the past couple of years is a trend in the right direction on that. Courts are being more careful to um, interpret and apply the laws given and not trying to add to it. Well, given the uh, current makeup of the court uh, under this current administration, do you foresee a more favorable court for, for people of faith? I do, Um, and I think uh, we've seen that uh, illustrated uh, just in the past couple of years. For example, um, uh, the win in Trinity Lutheran a couple of years ago, and then in Masterpiece last year. Uh, What we're seeing is that a court truly understands what the First Amendment is designed to protect, and um, it protects religious expression, uh, religious exercise, religious speech, And the court um, has issued some very favorable decisions in the past couple of years upholding those valuable fundamental rights for uh, religious adherence. What will be coming up in the next court session? 
the two biggest cases on our front uh, certainly involve the ones we talked about before with the funeral home and the other business uh, and whether uh, under federal law sex can be defined as including sexual orientation and gender identity. Apart from that, we're going to see a petition to the U.S. Supreme Court on behalf of Baronelle Stutzman, and that's going to be a big deal um, as her case uh, resurfaces at the Supreme Court for review. And we might even see a petition um, in the Larson's case out of the Eighth Circuit from the state of Minnesota. So there's a lot of cases that have very important ramifications for religious people around the country that could be percolating up to the Supreme Court in the next few months. Well, perhaps this time the Supreme Court will actually make some definitive rulings uh, rather than trying to sidestep the issues and throwing them back to the, to the states. To an extent, I applaud that issue. Obviously, that's what federalism is about. But every so often, issues arise that just cry for a firm ruling, and I think this is one of them. That's exactly right. This free speech issue definitely needs to be addressed by the U.S. Supreme Court. Certainly some people view it one way, others view it another way, and it's causing real problems for people of faith around the country. They don't know whether they can live consistently with their deepest beliefs in the face of some of these public accommodation laws, and in particular, very narrow applications of these laws that want to force them to um, express messages that conflict with their faith. That's a vital issue in our day. When the government can tell you what to say, that's a big problem. And it won't be just a big problem for Christians or for other religious people. It could be a big problem for anyone. No one wants to live under a government that says uh, it has the power to compel uh, as well as censor your speech. And the Supreme Court needs to weigh in on this issue sooner rather than later. I think Justice Thomas issued that warning with the uh, Obergefell decision. He was on the on the uh, dissenting side on that, and he issued a very eloquent point of view that the state was being set up to do things it should never do. We've seen a number of the concerns come to pass that were uh, mentioned in the various dissents in the Obergefell case. You know, we're seeing adoption agencies having trouble living out their faith through their adoption work. And that's a, that's a fundamental Christian responsibility to care for orphans. And then, of course, we've seen it in the business owner context and on down the line. And what we need to see from the Supreme Court is um, some clarity on what the fallout from that decision will mean for Christian business owners and adoption agencies and others. Mr. Warner, I want to thank you very much for joining the program today and explaining the issues and seeing where we go from this point. This is a vital issue, something of importance to everyone of faith, and thank you once again for being on the program. Thanks for having me. World Lutheran News Digest may be heard every Wednesday at 2.30 p.m. and again at 9.30 a.m. Saturday Central Time on Worldwide KFUO. It may also be heard anytime streaming online at kfuo.org. Join us again next Wednesday for another new edition of World Lutheran News Digest. I'm your host, Kip Allen. World Lutheran News Digest is a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO. You can also listen to WLN Digest on demand at kfuo.org. To correspond with World Lutheran News Digest, email news at kfuo.org.